Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. We're so happy to see you today. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Happy Mother's Day to you. We honor you. We are just so blessed by you. I hope that you feel honored and blessed this morning. I mean, we, we love mothers. I'm a mama's boy just in my soul. I'm a, and when I was growing up, I never had a single problem that could not be fixed by some snacks laid out on the counter by my mama sitting there just telling her everything. And so, uh, man, I just, I love Mother's Day. In fact, when I was a kid, uh, one, of my, one of my traditions, I was about four years old, and I remember breakfast in bed being a big deal on TV all the time, it seemed like, which I don't really understand, because I think breakfast in bed is ridiculous. You got to pee as soon as you wake up, and so then you got breakfast sitting on your lap. That's not comfortable. Also, you get all the crumbs in the bed. Where do you set the orange juice? I don't get it. I don't like it, but the TV said it was good, so I tried to do it. I was about four years old, and so I cooked the best of my ability at that time, which meant that I went and got some frosted flakes. I poured them in a bowl, filled it up with milk to the top, and then carried it splashing to my mother and gave it to her in bed, and she ate them because that's how awesome she is. And, and, and every year after that, until I was maybe 13 or 14 years old, I brought her a soggy bowl of Frosted Flakes every morning on Mother's Day. So mom, if you're watching, sorry I couldn't bring you your Frosted Flakes this morning, but I love you. And to my wife and the mother in our household, you know, I was, I was thinking about uh, that moment when you have your first kid and you, you've made it, you know, the labor was really hard for me. It was stressful, you know, and, and uh, I was just tired. And you get through the first couple days and you, you get through the first 36 hours and they tell you to go home. So you strap this tiny little ball of skin into this car seat that swallows them alive, and you carry it out, and you clip it in the car, and I remember the moment that my wife and I are sitting in the car, and we're both just thinking, what do we do now? <laughs> What's next? They're letting us take it home. Are they going to come and check on her? I mean, is everything okay? We didn't get any kind of instructions. They just said, don't shake the baby, and we were like, okay, we won't shake the baby, and then they gave us the baby, and that was it. And so I just remember that, that we, we realized very quickly that we were going to have to learn and figure this thing out as we went. And, and Rael, you, you have learned so well and figured out so well. And you are always redefining and questioning what it means for you to be a mom. But you are, you, you are just the best mother that our kids could ever have. And I honor you this morning. And I'm grateful for you. Beat that, dads. Got him. If you see her th this morning, she's wearing a big button that says best mom ever. And that was from our daughter, Eleanor, who demanded she wear it all day without cessation. I tried to talk her yesterday into telling her, maybe after church, and Eleanor said, no, she needs to wear it at church, dad. And so I asked, I asked Eleanor, our oldest, what she uh, loved the most about her mom too yesterday. And she said, well, Eleanor's very dramatic. So she did a deep sigh. She goes... She's just the most beautifulest mom in all the whole world, Daddy. So, top that one too, you know, beautifulest. Sorry to all the other moms. You came in at a close second, I'm sure. Uh, well, what a great child dedication service. Here's my charge. I got a charge I'd like to give. I'd like to add uh, just a little bit to the parents if I can today. 
and to all of us. Uh, and it's just this, very simply, just never try to be perfect. You know, I, I talked about this in the sermon last, last week about this good enough God means not good enough me. And, and, and I think there was a real cultural thing in the world that I grew up in where people tried to put on this, this presentation of perfection everywhere they went. And so I would say as a parent, the best thing that you can give your kids is the ability to be vulnerable. Show them what it looks like. T- teach them. Teach them that it's okay to not be okay all the time. And together, you can show them what it looks like to heal, to move forward, to learn. If you show them with your life what it looks like to just relentlessly pursue Jesus, if they, if they see it in you, and if you show them what it looks like to be vulnerable, I believe your kids will have all the tools they need for a successful life. So that's, that's what I got for you this morning. Uh, let's pray. We're all done. Just kidding. Uh, let's get into the message because uh, we're in week three of this series. I want to believe, oh, I've got some announcements first. I'm sorry. I've got just a couple more things. Robert would have been upset with me. He kept telling me, don't forget the announcements. And I thought, I won't. All right. Uh, a couple things to share with you. First, if, if, if you have ever thought about leading a life group, now is the time. Here's why. We're about to start summer life groups, and summer life group semester is only a six-week semester, so it's not long. You're not committing your whole life, and there's no homework. There's no curriculums. Over the summer, all we do is we have what's called family dinners. It's about building community. It's about, as the church grows bigger, we also want to see it get smaller. We want more communities to form all over our cities, every person to be known by somebody else. Family dinners are all about building that kind of community. It's just life around the dinner table. Okay, if you, if you just feel so unqualified to get out and teach and lead a life group, but you know how to host, or you've got a home and it has a table inside of it, or you live in an apartment complex and it's got some picnic tables outside, you qualify. You could lead a life group. You could create community. You can help people find freedom. It's, the power is in your hands. And so let me encourage you this morning, just sign up to lead a life group. You can do it. We'll equip you. We'll train you. We'll give Give you the resources. Our life group coordinators, Paul and Heath, will make sure you've got it all the way along the ways. And so uh, you can sign up on our website. This is the last week to sign up to lead a life group. Don't delay any longer. Do it now. Do it right now. Don't even, don't even question pulling out your phone in church. Just do it right now. That was good. I got them. Newcomer's dinner is coming up May 22nd. Uh, here, here's, here's newcomer's dinner. If you've been coming for a couple weeks, if today's your first time, if today's your first time, we would love for you to fill out a connect card and bring it to us at the info center because we got a free gift for you just for being here today. It's the best gift you've ever gotten. You don't want to miss out. You got to go. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You got to find out for yourself. So bring that connect card back to the info center. But if it's your first time or you've been coming a couple weeks, been here a few months, uh, this is our way of helping you get to know some folks. We'll give you the opportunity to sit and talk to each of our pastors and our wives and get to know us a little bit. And so if you don't come, I'll be personally offended, okay? And then uh, it's a great opportunity also to meet some people in the church who've been coming a little while. And, and this is a great way to start in community. That's May 22nd at 6.30 p.m. We need you to RSVP because we're going to feed you dinner. And so go on our website and you can sign up for that there as well. Finally, if you've got students, middle school through high school, student camp is fast approaching. Listen, lives change at summer camp for students. 
If you've got kids, there's nothing better than getting them in an environment that is removed from their regular day in and day out, where they have the opportunity to have a ton of fun, but also to experience Jesus in a brand new way. I just promise you, sending your kids to camp is one of the best things you can do for them to set them up for the rest of their year and for the rest of their lives. Send them to camp. If you don't have students, but you would still like to be involved in our student ministry or in summer camp, you can sponsor a student. We never want to turn a student away due to finances. We want to make opportunities for every single person to encounter the love of Jesus, especially in this environment. And so if you feel so inclined, you could give the gift of a sponsorship to our students and uh, be a blessing in that way. You can go on our website and find information there as well. Okay, now let's get into it. Week three of I Want to Believe But. Uh, Here's the premise for this series. We're talking about different versions of God that we choose or that we decide we can't believe in because they're too hard for us to believe in. And we're talking about why those versions of God don't exist. Here's what I believe. The culture in our country, in our world, and especially in our area has really shifted. There was a time when most people would say, I believe in God, but I believe in God, but I don't know about his people. I believe in God, but I don't know about creation. I believe in God, but I have these issues here and there. And more and more now, that conversation has shifted to, I want to believe, but. I want to believe in God, but He doesn't answer my prayers when I ask Him to. I I want to believe in God, but I'm not sure I measure up to what He needs from me. I, I want to believe in God, but I can't feel Him all the time. And today, we're talking about the goosebump God. The goosebump God. Not R.L. Stein's spooky version of God. The goosebump God goes like this. I want to believe, but I just don't feel the presence of God. I want to believe, but when I pray, I just feel like I'm talking to myself. I want to believe, but I don't know if I can believe in something that I can't see, hear, or feel. The goosebump God. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever been in an an intense worship service like the one we had here just a few weeks ago at Easter? Everybody around you is raising their hands in worship and people are moved in worship. They're crying and and you just feel like you're singing songs and you're wondering what everybody else is feeling. Or maybe you've been in life group before and you're sitting in life group and everybody is going around and saying how God moved in their life that week and you're just sitting there thinking, what does that even mean? What does it mean for God to move in your life? I'm not sure I've ever felt God move. Maybe you want to believe in all of this, but you've never felt it, at least not the way other people claim to. Maybe maybe you you want to hear God. You want to receive a word from God. People say, I heard God say this to me, or God told me to do this, and you think, what does that even mean? I've never heard the voice of God. You go through the routine. You try. you, You get on the dream team. You go to life group. You wake up and read your Bible. You try to pray, but still, nothing. You don't hear God. You don't feel God, and it makes you wonder if all of this could really be real, or if it's just something that you really want to be real. Maybe you do believe in God, and you have felt God before, but it's been a very long time. I mean, maybe it's been months, years since you've felt God, since you've heard God And maybe you're wondering if what you did experience, if that moment that you felt Him, if you really did experience God or or if it was just the emotions of a moment. 
Because just because something gave you goosebumps doesn't mean it was God. Just because something moved you to tears doesn't mean it was God. Avengers Endgame did both of those things for me. I had goosebumps the entire movie. I cried three times, but God wasn't one of the Avengers. Just because something makes you feel something doesn't necessarily mean it was God in the first place. And maybe now you're wondering, was it even God? Mom's comparison is hard, isn't it? Maybe you're on social media and you're seeing other moms talking about their precious time in the presence of the Father this morning and everything's in pastel colors and it looks beautiful and the coffee is still steaming in the morning light and you're just, you're trying, you're struggling through to get some presence with God while you've got kids screaming at you, poopy diapers, you got to make the breakfast. Every time you try to sit down, something comes up and you're just wondering... How are you ever supposed to feel God like that or hear God like that? How come it's so easy for them, but it's so difficult for me? The first thing that I want to say to you this morning is if you're in a season where you don't feel God or if you've never felt God, you are not alone. You're not alone. In fact, these feelings, these doubts, these questions that you're having are shared by almost every human since the history of creation. C.S. Lewis is a great Christian writer. He is known for the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series. Uh, he wrote a bunch of Christian no- books as well, Mere Christianity being one of the more famous ones. And My favorite amongst those collected works is a book called The Problem with Pain. And he takes a very real and sincere look at the harder questions of Christianity in that text. And he wrote it in a really difficult season of his own life. One of the things that he says in that book, was this. I reached out to God and instead I got a door slammed in my face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence becomes. He even confessed that this heavenly silence made him doubt whether there was even a God at all. Later in the book he writes, there's no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seems so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in our time of trouble? Have you ever felt this way? Can you relate this morning? One of the great Christian writers of our time admitting that he's wondered if God's even there in the first place. The writers of the Bible felt the same way on many different occasions. Our best look at emotion and and what people really feel throughout the Bible is in the Psalms. David wrote most of the Psalms. And if you don't know his story, David is the same one who killed the giant with the slingshot. He was known as a man after God's own hearts. He experienced the presence of God in ways that many of us only dream about. And yet over and over again, he wrote how difficult it felt sometimes that God wasn't even there that oftentimes he felt God wasn't listening or couldn't hear him. He writes in Psalm 88, But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? Isaiah is one of the prophets of the Old Testament, and one of the more notable ones. He wrote the longest book of prophecy. 
And Isaiah's call into ministry, he got to actually enter into the throne room of God. One of only a couple people to enter into the throne room of God before the end times. And in, in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter, in Isaiah chapter 64, he wrote the same words. Why God do you turn your face from me? It's just a common theme. People desire the presence of God. They desire the feelings of God. They want the emotional connection with God. We want to hear the voice of God and we get silence. And we wonder, where is God in all of this? Why can't I hear Him? Why can't I see Him? Why can't I touch Him? Why can't I feel Him? You are not alone in these feelings. Every single one of us wonders why we can't feel God sometimes. So what I want to do this morning is look at a couple reasons why that may be. I'm going to give you a warning right now because uh, I preach the same way and people get used to it and some people were freaked out previously. There's only three points today, okay? I'm not going to do these ones and then three more. So you, you've got to listen now. This is it, okay? You've got to lean in. First thing that I want us to talk about this morning and why we don't feel God at all, maybe you're over-sensationalizing it. Maybe you're over sensationalizing it. Maybe your expectations for the way that you feel God and what you feel from God are off base. I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I believe we can have a very personal relationship with God. We talk about the spiritual pathway that we take here and the very first step is that you can know God personally. It says in Ephesians 1.17 that you might know Him personally. We want you to know him personally. I believe that he wants you to know him. I believe above all other things, he wants you to have a relationship with him. And I believe that in that, you will feel his presence. I believe that you will hear him speak. I believe that you can speak to him in ways that are intimate and unique. But it's not this way all the time, every time. And unfortunately, it is usually not this way in the beginning of your relationship with God, which makes starting a little bit harder. Developing intimacy with God is like developing intimacy in every other relationship. When my wife and I started dating, we had a chemical connection. You know what I'm saying? When you start dating, there's some, there's some love is in the air. You know what I mean? You can feel it. It's electrifying, you know? Sorry, I'm embarrassing you a lot today. And, and, and over time, that fades away. They call it the honeymoon phase. And the relationships that really make it, that last long terms, are the relationships that even during the honeymoon phase are beginning the creation of, the development of, intimacy. Intimacy is what sustains relationships once the ooey-gooey feelings have faded into the past. Intimacy is not born easily. It's something we build with trust and time and intention. And it is hard fought. And it is something that we have to work to sustain. I think sometimes we enter Christianity the same way we enter dating relationships. Up on an emotional high. And we feel like we're in, a, in the presence of God. And we feel God and we give our lives to God. And we're so excited about our relationship with God. But then those emotions start to fade. And if we haven't been working to build intimacy, we start to wonder if he was ever there. In the first place, we've got work to do once the emotions start to fade. We've got to develop this intimacy with God before we're going to be able to feel His presence again. 
before we start to feel this connection with Him again. And it's hard because what we want is consistent and constant signs and wonders. And we want goosebumps. But it can't always be this way. Jesus ran into the same problem while He was on earth. Sometimes we think, well, if we could have just been with Jesus, it would be different. But the people that actually got to physically talk to Jesus, that were in His presence, that listened to Him, they had the same problems. And He ran into this while He was here on earth. And in John chapter 6, verse 30, there's a great instance of this. It says, The people asked Him, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Hey, Jesus, we hear what you're saying. We saw the healing over here. That was great. But our ancestors got a free meal ticket. What you got, Jesus? What are you going to do for me that's going to give me enough to believe in you? How are you going to show up in my life every single day the way that you did for my ancestors so that I can believe in you? Jesus, come on, what, what, what are you going to do for me to convince me to follow you? Jesus responds, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus is doing this while he's saying that. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I want to help you understand what Jesus is saying here. You see, Jesus did give signs and wonders, and he even tells his disciples, as you go out, you'll have my Holy Spirit. He'll give you the ability to do the same kind of signs and wonders, even greater than these. Miracles still happen. It exists, but it's not the standard by which we base our belief. Jesus is saying, I am all you need. You're asking for miracles. You're asking for feelings. You're asking for signs, but you have got me, and I am enough to sustain you. I am the bread of life. What you need isn't a feeling all the time. What you need isn't goosebumps. What you need is Jesus. Jesus has declared, I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. These people were going to Jesus and saying, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Son of God, prove it. God gave our ancestors free food, so what what can you give us constantly? But Jesus said, I can sustain you. I can keep you. You just need me. Now, Jesus still gave them miracles. And I think he was saying this as a way of reminding them that one, even when we don't get miracles, Jesus is enough. And two, that the miracles that we get aren't why we believe. They happen because we believe. It is our faith that produces miracles. Maybe you've been looking for an emotional experience. God. Or to believe you've given God this list of things that you need, need Him to do for you so that you could enter into a relationship with Him. If you're going to believe in Him, you need Him to speak to you, to talk to you, to give you words, to give you a sign. But Jesus is saying, no, you don't need any more signs. I already came. I'm the sign you needed. You don't need any more signs. I'm all you will ever need because Jesus is enough. Even when we can't feel Him, Jesus is enough. Even when we can't hear Him, Jesus is enough. Don't over-sensationalize it. You won't always feel connected and confident 
in your marriage. In your marriage. You won't always get butterflies when they walk in the room. You won't always get ooey-gooey feelings when they sit down next to you. Sometimes they're going to walk in the room and you're going to go, oh man, I was almost done watching this episode. Now I got to talk. Sometimes they're going to sit down next to you and you're going to think, really? There's a whole couch. That's marriage. And if the most important physical relationship in your life is this way, why would you expect your relationship with God to be any different? Sometimes you will feel the power of God in your life. Sometimes you will feel His Spirit's power. You will feel His presence. He will speak to you. And other times it will be silence. And you won't know that. You won't be able to hear Him. You won't won't feel the goosebumps. You'll hear the same worship song that brought you to tears a few weeks ago. And it'll just be a song today. And you'll wonder, where is He? But He's still there. Just like in your marriage... Your spouse is still there. You're still committed. They still love you. They're still present with you. Even when the butterflies aren't showing up, just in the same way, even when you can't hear God, when you can't feel God, when you don't have goosebumps from God, God is still present. He is active. He is working. He is moving. He is with you. He cares for you. He loves you. He will show up for you. He's still there. If we always felt him, it wouldn't be called faith. See, Jesus says it's our faith. Paul says it it is by faith we believe. It's our faith. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is believing when it's good and believing when it's not good. Faith is believing when I feel him. Faith is believing when I don't feel him. Faith is believing while you hear him speak. Faith is believing when it is silent. We believe because of our faith. Now, maybe there's another problem. Maybe we're not asking for too much. Maybe we've never really felt the presence of God or we haven't felt his presence for a long time. And no matter what we do, we can still almost feel like there's a barrier between us and his presence. If that's the case, second thing, second reason maybe you're not feeling God is maybe there is something in the way. Okay, it's going to get a little uncomfortable for a minute. I got to get very personal with you, but I'm going to end on a on an encouraging note, okay? Hang with me. But maybe you are not feeling the presence of God in your life because there is sin in your life. Maybe you're not feeling presence of God in your life. You're not being moved by the presence of God in your life because of unconfessed sin, because of bitterness, because of untreated shame, Because you have built a wall in your heart between you and him. Jesus spoke these words in Matthew chapter 13. Talking about the people who were sitting directly in front of Jesus. But could not understand what he was saying. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, or hear with their ears, or understand with their hearts. And I would heal them. Jesus' mission statement in Luke 5, he says, I've come to set the captives free. 
But Jesus can't make you walk out of the cage. Listen, sin in our lives creates a barrier between us and God. It's like trying to walk around with your eyes closed, trying, trying to see God, but you, you won't open your eyelids. It's like trying to hear God, but you're going, no, 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 and you can't hear him. It's like trying to feel God, but your heart has a callus over it because of our sin. This is a relational truth, not just a doctrinal one. Here's what I mean. Last week, we talked about the good enough God. If you missed that message, I really encourage you to go listen to it. It was a very personal one for me. And this idea of the good enough God is that we can't reach God on our own or be cleansed from our sins on our own, so Jesus has done all of the work for us. We're saved by faith in Him, not by works, and we don't have to earn it. He's done it. It's finished. We're His. That's the doctrinal truth this morning. That's the truth. But there is also a relational truth that we need to understand. This issue that Jesus is talking about here, what we're talking about this morning is very relational. I'll put it this way. If you are hiding something from your spouse, it is going to damage your intimacy with your spouse. If you are hiding sin in your life, If there is something you don't want to call sin, but you don't want anybody to find out about, and you're keeping it from the closest relationships in your life, I promise you, those relationships are suffering. There are many of you in this room I've walked through this with. You could testify. If you are looking at porn and hiding it from your spouse, it is hurting your intimacy in ways you can't even understand. If you are spending money and building debt, and hiding it from your spouse, you are breaking trust and intimacy with your spouse. If you are harboring grudges, and you won't tell the people that you're mad at what's going on, you are breaking down intimacy in relationships, not just with them, but with other people that matter to you. Sin, always, 100% of the time, has casualties. And almost in every scenario, the first casualty as a result of our sin is our intimacy. Our intimacy. I want to define that word for you. Because maybe you're just thinking, what are you talking about? Like the physical stuff? No, I mean the kind of connection that is not just head to head, but is heart to heart. The deeper connection. The way that I can sit in the presence of my wife And we can speak to one another and share our hearts in ways I can't do with other people. Because we've developed intimacy in our relationship. Intimacy is always the first casualty of sin. And if that is true in your relationship with your spouse, which it is, then it is true in your relationship with God. When we sin, when we keep things, when we think we're keeping it from God, when we won't confess it to God, when we won't bring it before Him, We are breaking down intimacy between us and God. And without intimacy, there is no connection. Without the connection of intimacy, you will not feel Him. You will not hear Him. You will not get goosebumps. You won't won't be moved to tears in worship. Your sin is in the way. If you're hiding something, it's time to bring it into the light. If you haven't felt God ever or in a long time, I need you to consider that the reason for that may be relational. 
And if this is you, your next step is to find freedom. You're in the right place. If, that, if you're just feeling so uncomfortable in your seat right now because you know this is you, you're in the right place. This church, the gathering, is a place where it's okay to not be okay. We put it in our purpose that we want you to know God. And once you know him, once you're in relationship, he wraps his arms around you right away. But then to build intimacy, to move forward, to keep going, to discover your purpose, to make a difference with him. What's next after you learn to know him is to find freedom in him. He offers freedom to you. Jesus said, I have come to set the captives free. And then he didn't stop there. He said he came to set the captives free and he wants to set them up as oaks of righteousness, as a symbol of strength in their community so that they would rebuild the ruins long devastated. This is Isaiah 61, that they would rebuild the ruins long devastated. Here's what that means. It means church. If you have found freedom, you have a burden to help others find freedom. This is what the church is. We walk each other through it. If this is you and you're just longing to feel God again and you're tired of breaking down your intimacy and driving a wedge between your marriage, here's what this sounds like if this is you. This is, this is what, it, what it sounds like in words. You would say things like, oh, I don't know. We just can't really connect anymore in my marriage. I don't know why. We just, we don't feel like we're connecting. I don't know. I think we've fallen out of love. You know, I mean, we, we, we're, we're thinking about separating because we've just, we've fallen out of love. We're not connected anymore. We're just, we're not, here's one I hear a lot. We're just not on the same page. No intimacy has been broken and it was broken by sin. Find the sin, confess the sin, get in some counseling to move forward from the sin and then rebuild the intimacy. Your church is here to help you. We want to walk through. When my wife and I went through a hard season, when we started this church, I want you to know I was just not really emotionally prepared, and I began to break intimacy with my wife, and it was bad. And we went to marriage counseling for five months in the first year of this church plan, and it saved and rescued our marriage. It was the people of the church who helped us walk to find freedom. It was that counselor helping us to find healing from old wounds in our hearts. And today our marriage is better than it ever was before that, but it's because we walked a journey to find freedom. Just, I've got a sidebar for you this morning, so I'm not going to preach a whole other message. I'm almost done, okay? Listen. There's a story in Acts chapter 16 Paul gets arrested with one of his buddies, and they're, and, they're, and they're worried about these guys breaking out. So they put him in the darkest part of the prison, in the lower levels, and they've got him chained up and shackled, and the gates are closed, and the jailer is asleep. It's the middle of the night, and God sends an earthquake, and it shakes the foundations of the place, and their chains fall free, and the gate swings open. They were freed by the power of God, but listen to what happens next. The jailer comes down, and honestly, his life's a mess. One more screw up and he's finished. He knows it. His family's in trouble. He's in trouble. And he goes into this pitch dark place and he feels that the gates are open and, and he pulls out his sword and prepares to thrust it through himself. But Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. We're all still here. We're all still here. And what happens next is that jailer finds a relationship with Jesus. And what happens after that is he finds freedom. And what happens after that is his whole family finds freedom. And here's what I need you to hear this morning. If you've been given freedom, don't rush out of the prison because there are a lot of other people there in desperate need of what you have. You've got to help them. 
We've got to help each other find freedom so that we can rebuild intimacy, so that we can walk into the presence of God again. That's the church. That's what we do. If, if this is you, your next step is to find freedom. Get in a life group. Go to freedom group if you need to. It's built for this. Go to freedom group. Find accountability. This is a relational problem, and so the solution is relational. Confess to who you need to confess to. Go to a counselor. I can recommend a few. Find freedom. And as you do, you will restore intimacy with God, and you'll begin to feel presence in your life again. One more thought this morning. Maybe God wants to draw you closer. One more thing to consider if you're wanting to feel God more in your life. If you need to feel God to believe that He's real, if you're looking for an encounter with His presence, there's just one more thing I'd like for you to evaluate. Your consistency in seeking His presence. Consider your consistency. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we say we want to feel the presence of God, that if we're going to believe in Him, we need to feel Him, we want Him, we want him to hear us, we want to hear Him. But the only time that we are seeking him is for 75 minutes once a week. I had a buddy. He had a catchphrase. It's always good to have a friend with a catchphrase. It's a weird thing, right? Anyways, he used to always say, in life, what I've found is that consistency plus duration equals impact. Consistency over time. Consistency over time. Do you want to feel the presence of God in your life? pursue him consistently not just once a week not just on Mother's Day and Easter not just every so often don't just complain about not feeling his presence I tried church I didn't feel it I don't know I, I don't know I went to one of the small groups one time it felt weird I didn't feel God I felt awkward that's what I felt no you've got to be consistent you got to pursue him you got to go after him pursue him and he will respond to your pursuit. Paul the apostle, the evangelist, was preaching in the metropolis of Athens, Greece. If you remember your school days, the Greeks were obsessed with gods, with the presence of gods. They built temples everywhere. They had idols everywhere. The statues of their gods, they believed, gave them proximity to their gods. The more temples they would build, the more their gods would come near. And near their great amphitheater that Paul would go to preach in in that city, on, on the way there, there is a hallway, a road, that has all these idols on it. It has Roman gods, Greek gods. It's got gods from, from ancient Mesopotamia, all just kind of in their idol form there. And then there's one that's empty. And it says, to an unknown God. And Paul's a great preacher, man. So he saw that and he was like, oh, I got my sermon. And he walks in and he says these words. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by human hands. You're not just going to find God here. If you want to feel the presence of God, you've got to look more than just inside this room. If you want to find the presence of God, you've got to understand that he's bigger than a church service. He's bigger than what we're doing right now. Verse 25, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath, and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. You've got to understand that God is everywhere. That he's so big that just because you can't feel him doesn't mean he's not there. Just because you couldn't see his hand at work 
in your life doesn't mean he wasn't present. Just because you, you can't hear his voice in your heart doesn't mean he's not speaking. You've got to know that God is so big and his, he cares so much. He is present. He is there. He is listening. He is enough. Jesus is enough. We don't need the signs. Any, we, we, we love them. We covet them. We love to see a miracle. We believe in miracles. But without the miracles, he is still enough. He is still present. He is still listening. And when I can't hear him, I know he's there. I know that he responds. I know that he's listening. He keeps going. Verse 27, God did this. He put it all together. He set out the boundaries. He was there. He was always there. And he did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us. Listen, he's not far not far from any one of us. He's not, he's not out of reach for you. There was a popular term for people who aren't in a relationship with God for a while there called, the pastors would say, people who are far from God. Well, I never liked it because Paul says that we're never far from God. That no matter who you are, what you believe, what you've done, what sin you've put in between you and intimacy with him, it doesn't matter. He is not far from any one of us. He is never too far from you. And if you would seek him, you would find him. And if you pursue him, he will respond to your pursuit. And if you just really get desperate for his presence, he will meet you in your desperation. Verse 28, Paul quotes a philosopher, a Greek philosopher, using their own philosopher against him. I love this. And he makes it scripture. It says, for in him we live and move and have our being when we don't feel him, in him we live and move and have our being. When we can't hear him, in him we live, we move, we have our being. Our pursuit of him has to be constant. We need to learn to live in him, to move in him, to have our being in him. He doesn't exist in the temple. His presence isn't something we get to just demand. And in the same speech, Paul reminds the people there that Jesus is enough that he's done the work. He's done every miracle you need, every sign you need, every feeling you need. Jesus has done it. He's done it. He's enough. Verse Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. We just got to go after him. Just seek him. Go, go looking. Don't just say, I want to feel the presence of God. Go looking for it. Like somebody obsessed. Like somebody who's lost their ability to see anything else to want anything else, to need anything else, if you want to feel the presence of God in your life, make it your life's pursuit. Get in his presence. If this is what you need from God to feel his spirit move, pursue him every single day in worship. He responds to worship. In fact, the Bible says he is out there looking for true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. It says that when you seek him, you will find him. That, that, that when you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. Our God is listening and he is responsive, but it's not going to happen just because you want it. You got to show him you want it. You, you, you follow him. Are you with me? Create a space of worship in your home. Make it holy. Holy just means set apart for God. Create a space in your home that is holy. Get in it. Worship worship. I mean, honestly, just worship. I've got three things that are a part of my time with God is worship, is scripture, is prayer. But if I can't do any of them, I'm going to worship. 
Bible says I was created to worship, that God responds to worship, that he wants worship, and so I just worship. I mean, I just, I see, I, and honestly, it doesn't take long. You want to feel the presence of God, get in worship, and it just doesn't take long. Two or three minutes for me, I need two or three minutes, and I'll go into the moment feeling like God is gone, and he's abandoned me, and my life stinks and everything stinks, and I'm all alone, and my problems are big, and my God is small, and I'm just going to get into, just get in a moment. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We, we make this our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. You have no rival. You have no equal. It just doesn't take long. And what happens is my God is big again and my problems are small. And his presence is in my life. And I can feel him and his spirit's power moves me. And he gives me the strength to keep moving on. If you want to be near him, get near him. If you are desperate for the presence of God, act desperate for the presence of God. Move your life around to get in his presence. Do what you need to do. Listen, mamas, let me talk to the mamas of young kids. Because I know. I know it doesn't matter how early you get up. When you wake up, there will be a voice crying out in the darkness, and it's not God, it's your four-year-old that needs to go potty. I know. I know. And at the end of the day, you are so tired, the thought of prayer makes you fall asleep immediately. I know. Here would be my encouragement to you. Pursue him with your children. I can think of no greater gift you could give your kids. My wife is good at this. She, she worships with our children. I mean, we haven't got it all right. I'm, I've got it wrong a lot of times. She hasn't, but I have. But this, she's done well. When she gets into worship, she brings the children with her. And because of that, my daughter's, my four-year-old daughter's favorite song is Hallelujah by Elevation Worship. Hallelujah here below. And she belts it out with everything she's got. Hallelujah. You can get in the presence of God. If you're desperate for something, you go after it. So go after it. If you want to feel him, pursue him. Every day. Every day. Get in his presence and you will begin to feel his presence. Maybe you haven't felt God because he wants you to pursue him more so that you can know him more, so that you can build more intimacy with him and you will begin to feel him. Maybe, just listen, the goosebump God doesn't exist. When you can feel him, it's good. When you are in his presence, nothing in this world matters. Nothing is better. It gives you all the energy you need. But guess what? When you can't feel him, he's still good. When you don't know that he's there, he's still there. When it seems silent, he's listening. You just got to know that Jesus is enough. He'll always be enough. You pursue him with everything that you've got. You give him every bit of energy you have. You get up, you meet with him. You worship him. You sing songs that bring honor and praise to him. And when he responds, it's good. And when he doesn't, he's still good. He's just good. He's always good. He's always present. He's always there. You've just got to pursue him. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are good. That when it's quiet, God, that you are good. That when, when the room feels empty, you are good. You are present. You don't live in temples built by human hands, God. You are everywhere and in everything. 
And Lord, we want you. We want your presence. We want to feel you. We want to experience you. We want to hear you. But God, when you are silent, we know that your word speaks. And God, when it feels like you are far away, we know that your promise in Scripture says you are never far away. We trust you. We lean on you. We need you. Give us more of you. But God, we just anxiously await the day when every single one of us will rest in your presence forever. When every name, every person that calls upon your name enters into your kingdom. And we just never have to wonder where you are anymore. And until that moment, we say that Jesus is enough. We worship you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.